Uh, good morning, everybody. I hope you can find a place to think and pray here this morning. Um, and at this time, I'd like to invite you to study the Bible with me and turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans is about three quarters of the way through the Bible. If you're uh, flipping through, it's a very popular book of the Bible. And as a community, we've been studying the last one third, uh, the last third of this book, which might sound a little weird at first, but I think we started to uh, look into it and see some of its practice, practical, um, some of the practical challenges that are in the last third of the book. And, and so many of us are familiar with the first 11 chapters and just sometimes just forget about the last uh, portion here. So we'd like to just sort of carry the first 11 chapters with us uh, as a, a, a foundation of theology for this letter, but then to see how they work out and take shape in a community through the, the, the last five chapters. And the shape that it starts to form that, that we've been kind of talking about each week is the shape of the cross. The shape of Christ crucified is being impressed onto this community and kind of fleshed out in, in various ways. And so we've been studying that. And I, I'd like to just sort of remind you as, as you're thinking through some of this is that first verse in chapter 12 starts off with the word, therefore. And you can kind of see how this becomes sort of the hinge point for the, the whole thought that Paul is using here. Uh, therefore, in light of, you know, the mercies of God. So therefore, in light of this whole thing, summed up as the mercies of God, this whole 11 chapters that we've just talked through. And, and, and just imagine right now, so many of your favorite Bible verses and so many of the stuff that you just cling to. In light of all of that, he says, offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice. And if this is your first time to church today, we won't be doing living sacrifices here. And I know that uh, <laughs> that can sound a little jarring. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an expression talking about gratitude and how to uh, go all in with who you are and offer it up to God is something that um, in response to who you see him to be and, and who he is for you, offer it up individually. He also then talks about how this works out as a group, as a, as a, he starts to cast vision for a body. He talks about a body of people and he starts to describe what we call the church. And the church is this beautiful, enigmatic force uh, empowered by and inspired, empowered by God, inspired by the gospel, moving into the world in various ways uh, to be a gift to this world. Do you know that the church is God's gift to this world? I love to uh, invite you today to explore different language and different ways of thinking and talking about our role in this world uh, so that we can imagine how to be that gift. Uh, that's Paul's word. He's talking about gift. And I, I don't know about you, but whenever I receive a gift, I feel lucky. So that's the word that I've just been exploring this week and thinking about lucky. And I'll tell you why. There's a little bit of a backstory to that word. I'm driving down the road, going to Jeremiah and Missy's house. I like to stop there some days randomly just to say hi. And I'm coming down a hill in my truck and I, the, somebody just pulls out in front of me at the bottom of the hill. And I'm like, hey, that's dangerous. This is not allowed. What are you doing? I'm outraged, right? And then... 
somebody else pulls out right behind him. I'm assuming they're friends. I'm thinking that they planned this, or at least they went to the same driving school. I don't know. But this is outrageous to me. Now I'm out. I'm going to punish them. I'm going to, this is wrong. There's some justice that needs to occur here. And so I'm like thinking, how can I hurt them in some way, but not? And I'll never get those three seconds back that you slowed me down. And I could be up there. Now I'm back here. And what, you know, what? And, uh, And in one second, that all happened. But then in another second, I promise you, this is what happened in my mind. I, I, I thought this phrase. Luckily, that person just pulled out in front of a Christian. <laughs> I'm not trying to joke. I did think that. And I thought, where did that thought come from? And it's true. I want them to feel lucky that they pulled out in front of a Christian. I want them to know when a Christian's driving, I'm going to forgive this. I want you to be safe here. I want you to be comfortable. Is there more space that you need between us? Can I use my hands to like, to bless you in some way? It's okay. Welcome in. This is our street together. We can do this and like make them feel like they just received a gift because that's who we are called to be. There's this line at the beginning of Romans 12 that I've been, thinking, I've been thinking about the last few weeks, ever since we started opening it up, where he said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, rather be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What does that look like? I mean, it, it's gonna, I mean, don't hear me say, you know, you, you gotta beat yourselves up and strive here. I am just so excited and inspired by the idea that we can actually use our minds to start exploring uh, transformation, new patterns, not old patterns. The old patterns aren't working anymore. It's not working for me to, to see other drivers as my enemy on the road. It's not working for me to see these old patterns at play in my life. I need something transformed. And Paul tells us, don't settle for anything less than that. Start to imagine what this world could look like if they saw this church coming and they saw a gift coming their way. They saw a blessing coming their way. What I want to talk to you about today is another chapter in that book. Another aspect of that in an even a greater arena. But I'm summarizing um, my heart here by calling it a mindset of blessing. You could say a mindset of gift. How can we uh, have a mindset of blessing as we come and go in this world as a church and as God's gift to this world. So if you've turned to Romans 13, I'd like to uh, read to you that. And if you're able to stand uh, with me and please stand for the reading of God's word as we expect for God's word to encourage us and to challenge us and to pull us forwards. Romans chapter 13 and verse one. I'm just going to read the whole, it's only 14 verses. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Let everyone be subject to governing authorities. There's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that do exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Well, then do what is right and you'll be commended. 
For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also there's a matter of conscience. That's why we pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full-time governing. Give to everybody what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If you owe revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the Torah, the law, the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. Whatever the other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ and don't think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Amen. You may have a seat. So I'd like to uh, share, I have uh, like three and a half thoughts on the first seven verses and then one kind of big push for the last seven verses. And so if you're taking notes, I'm going to try and uh, help you with that. I have been accused recently of not being followable, and so I'm trying to do better. The, um, and the reason for the lopsided outline here is because I think that when I read those first seven verses, there's something that um, there's an opportunity for us to really lay hold here because I've often found that these verses have been used historically to justify all kinds of evil behavior, as well as, in some views, they have become um, really, really there's a, they're, 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 people have had a dissonance with what this actually means in light of how the world actually works. And so I'd like to play my card today, but I'm not infallible, okay? I, I just want to encourage you. This is a great opportunity to read this slowly, to be here and live in these verses in their context and, um, and, and, and really take, and take our time and pray through it. So whatever I say today, hopefully you just pray and discern about it and, and, and hold fast to what is true. But I'd like to uh, talk first about two different contexts, all right? So number one and number two are going to be the textual context and the cultural context. So the literary context of this, I think, is extremely important. I have heard this, these first seven verses just completely plucked out of this chapter and, and held arbitrarily true. Um, and that's a shame because Paul's writing a letter here and he's trying to flow from a very specific place toward a very specific place. And he's writing for an occasion. And so for us to just sort of take things out of context, it can create all kinds of confusion. Now, just remember what I, the reason why I, I had such a, um, 
so many thoughts at the beginning of this is to try and inspire and remember chapter 12. I mean, he, even if you glance at the final uh, paragraph there in chapter 12, he is tied. Don't repay evil for evil. Uh, you know, don't, don't contribute to, uh, to vengeance. Uh, trust God with that. And, and don't uh, repay evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. And in the same breath, and I don't know if this is a coincidence or not, he starts thinking about government. <laughs> he's talking about evil, and all of a sudden he's talking about the empire. I don't know. If, is, there, is there a connection there or not? But it's in the same breath. He's like, we can overcome evil with good. Let's talk about this greater world that we live in. How do we live in this world? In a, in a way with a mindset of blessing. How do we flow from the gift of the church? And how do we bring that into our, not just in our own house churches and in our own circles, but in the world that we live in? It's going to take thinking about things a little differently. And if you don't think that that flow of literary context is important, let me just remind you that these verses have been taken out of context and justified even the rise of Nazi Germany. I was reading some, you know, treatments of manuscripts of sermons that were uh, delivered on Romans 13 in that day. And if Paul is just trying to make a blanket statement that we should just, no matter what, always just submit to governing authorities, well, the question that I think a lot of us would have is, what do you, what do, you do when your govern, governing authority is, is made of human beings uh, <laughs> who sometimes make terrible decisions? who sometimes call us to do things that the Bible forbids and forbids things that the Bible calls us to do. If we force Paul to just be making a general statement here about always just go with what the government says because God set up the government, then we force Paul to uh, compartmentalize in this one regard and, and neglect all kinds of other stories in the Bible. I mean, think about it. How many stories in the Bible are people disobedient. He just got to talking about Pharaoh in chapter nine, right? I mean, that's definitely a story where there's some, uh, there's some differences of opinion about uh, who's in charge. There's um, the book of Daniel. Remember uh, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And of course, Paul knows about these stories and he knows his own story. Remember in Acts when the, the king of Damascus was trying to uh, arrest him and he got into a basket and had them lower him out the window so he could escape. Not exactly the most legal exit, uh, Paul. And so, so what uh, is he thinking here? And I'm not trying to, you know, be argumentative per se. I just want to fight for his flow of thought. I don't think he's contradicting himself or the Bible. I think what he's saying is you can trust that God um, is a God of order and a God who is for uh, governing authorities without at the same time endorsing everything a governing authority does. You can say, I trust God. Okay, so let's just say they're looking at the Roman Empire and they're not sure like what to do with it. So Paul gives them at least one imaginative thought that you can think when you look at the Roman Empire and you say, you know what? I think that God is a God of order and so I'm gonna look at you. And he, three times, he calls them servants of God, ministers of God. It's, it's, it's almost angelic-like language. These are people that, that God has placed here. And so my first thought for them is gonna be that uh, I'm gonna trust that God is a God of order. Now, if you are going to, 
contribute to chaos, you have to ask yourself, whose team, whose team fights for chaos in this world? What, is God a God that promotes uh, chaos? Is he a God that promotes dismantling and anarchy and, and this type of thing just in general? No. So I think that Paul here is thinking in a creative way towards how to be inside of this empire that isn't causing all kinds of um, anger and resentment and bubbling up within this community, but a way that they can actually appreciate or at least... <laughs> at least on one level, appreciate the people that are there. If they're able to do that, then they are able to win them over. Or they're at least one step closer to that. So let me talk about the cultural context for a second. If, if the literary context is for uh, Paul to have a creative imagination of what the church could be as a gift in Rome, um, maybe there's a situation that he's dealing with here that he's trying to help them through. Well, notice as you start to get to like verse six, verse seven, that Paul starts talking about money. And this is one of those ancient practices that we have no idea really to how to, how to resonate with called taxes. It's gonna take a lot of uh, translation here. No, actually, that is the problem with this passage. So many of us just see these words and it's just so easy to just jump to one-to-one -one comparisons uh, that we don't slow down and ask ourselves, what was going on with their, in their financial world? And as you know, we have said this several, for several weeks now that the Jewish people in Rome were banished for several years. They have just recently been welcomed back and they're trying to rebuild their lives. Now, one can imagine the you know, political play that Nero might be making in their world, trying to get all kinds of people back to the city so that he could build some big stuff. We need people to get taxed and to make money so that we could get money to build, a, to, to build some new temples, to build some new um, arenas. There is a tax reform that happens in a few years, but I don't think that Romans is written when they're there yet. And this is definitely prior to the fire. I think this conversation would have been totally different after the fire and after Christians started getting hunted. Um, but just imagine that you're a Jewish person, you're trying to rebuild and, and you have like some deep convictions about money and about how this works and what, what's being spent on. And then you find out that the governing authorities are spending it on pagan temples and things that you are completely at odds with and how hard that would be for you to justify and how easy it would be to start to think, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna maybe start talking about revolt. I'm gonna maybe start talking about trying to, to stand up against this. I'm gonna maybe start trying to talk about violence. I'm gonna maybe start getting into these circles where we're just adding anger and, and adding uh, hatred to one another. I think it's plausible that Paul is seeing this and knowing the propensity of this people to stand up. I mean, this is only 15 years or so before 70 AD. It's definitely, <laughs> revolt is definitely a part of, uh, of their story. And so I wonder what that does to interpreting this, that Paul might be saying, actually, the pattern of this world that is so tempting for you right now, the pattern of this world is so tempting for you right, right now, we need to let go. You need to go to a, a renewal of your mind and ask yourself, is there a way that I can uh, view myself as a blessing here? 
Is it possible that I, that I can give away some of my money and, and it's not really my money anyways, but I, I, is there a mindset that I can take here? Well, the mindset that I think would be helpful in this scenario is a mindset of seeing the, uh, seeking the peace for Rome. And if Paul wanted there to be a big, like slashing critique of Rome, he could have done it here. But he rarely ever directly addresses the government. I don't know if you noticed that. This is like the only time. There's books of the Bible that are dedicated to critiquing actions of um, evil empires in the world. I mean, there's tons of stuff that he could have drawn from, from the prophetic literature. But I'd like to suggest to you that he's actually writing in a way consistent with somebody in, uh, with, with, with Jeremiah 29. If you think about, maybe if you're graduating from high school right now, you, you've definitely been thinking about Jeremiah 29. Uh, yeah, anybody have an open house yet? Uh, open up all your cards. Okay, never mind. Uh, it'll come. Jeremiah 29 talks about uh, people who are in exile. He writes a letter, a prophetic letter, to people who are in exile in Babylon. And it takes a mentality of, of seeing oneself not home yet, and not in, you know, sort of in exile, which is a pretty strong New Testament thread that we're not there yet to resonate with this. But let me just read to you a few verses from Jeremiah 29 um, and the letter that he wrote. 29 verse 4 says this. This is what the Lord, the Almighty, the God of Israel says to all of those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. <laughs> Build houses. Settle down, plant a garden and eat what they produce. Marry, have sons, have daughters, find wives for your sons. Give your daughters away in marriage so that they can have sons and daughters too. Increase in number and do not decrease. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city of Babylon to which I have carried you into exile. Pray for the, for, to the Lord for it. If it prospers, so will you. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Don't let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Don't listen to the dream, their dreams and encourage that they encourage you to have. They're prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. And in just a few verses, you read the famous for, I know the plans that I have for you. And this seeking the peace of Babylon uh, exhortation here, I think placed alongside of Romans 13, uh, starts to give a lot more uh, of, of a picture of, of maybe where they can be imaginatively. He sounds like this. You guys, here we are. Pay, give them money, give them honor, give them respect, be here. Uh, see them as a gift from God into your life, as you're a gift from God to their life. Find ways to be constructive and pray for them. Pray for your leaders. Whenever there's a president that I feel like is just, I gotta be very careful how I say things. But I really just wanna communicate something. There is a hopelessness that sometimes happens throughout the years for different, the way we view different leaders in our country and I have heard a lot of people just 
write people off and write politicians off and write uh, people in authority off and write groups of people who are in authority off. And wouldn't it be great if we could just wake up every day hoping to you know, turn on the news and to see a government official just say, I'm going to do a press conference to tell the world what just happened to me last night of how I met the Lord and how I've, I've now reformed, I'm now repenting and I'm now changing the way that I think and I've, I've seen these old patterns of the world, and now I've got a new pattern that I'm going for. I mean, do you feel like that's possible anymore? Do you feel like God can still reach people who are in authority in your city and in your country? Do you, I, I mean, do you need to ask God to, tell, to teach you again about how long his arm is and about how he is able to do miracles still and speak to people uh, that sometimes the world thinks are too far gone? Starting with myself and starting with each of us, we should be people who actually are able to look at our authorities, and no matter where they are, and have hope and respect and love for them, uh, gospel-type love. And I say that because I'm looking at Paul here and I'm thinking, gosh, this hasn't been the way he's been his whole life. If you think that, <laughs> if you think that you're unable to change your mindset, to a mindset of blessing for authority in your life. Um, and, and, and then just ask the Apostle Paul to teach you about this because I'm sure he would say to us, if anyone thinks they have reason to uh, have anger for their authorities, I have more. He grew up just born and raised in a world that talked about the empire as such dark, dark, oppressive people. He, at times in his life, and I know this from knowing their culture, I spent a lot of time trying not to even speak out the names of cities that were Roman for fear that, that he might become unclean or infected by their, uh, their, just, um, their sinfulness. Think of what kind of mindset this had to, I mean, what kind of paradigm shift had to have happened in this guy's heart and mind to be able to not participate in that anymore, but to say, actually, this is where I used to be. I used to think you guys are completely, uh, I, 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 I have hate in my heart for you guys. Until you think like me, until you look like me, until you're out of my way, until you're not offensive to me anymore, I'm, I, I'm not going to admit that you're even alive. I am not going to pray for your peace and love you. Something happened in this guy's life. And when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and when he got the love of God through Christ crucified in his heart, he started to uh, be so inspired to get out there and to try and share that with people. You know how I know this? I was just reading Paul interacting with government officials, because we have several stories of that in the book of Acts. Notice uh, if you skim through Acts 26, 27, 28, he starts talking to a big time Roman official and a big time Jewish official at the same time. He's in jail, Caesarea Maritime, right on the Mediterranean Sea. And he talks to Festus, the Roman official, and Herod Agrippa. Uh, the Jewish official, and he is kind of on trial in front of both of them. And this is what's crazy. He, he could have been let off. Herod says that after he gets taken away, this guy, if he'd have played his cards differently, he could have been set free today. 
But what he describes is a passion to bring people who are outside of the family of God into the family of God like never before. He describes how this is controlling his way of life in such an inspiring way that he has to do that. He is compelled. And um, Festus says to him, you're out of your mind. All the studying y'all been doing, it's not, you're going insane. And he says to him, I've never thought more clearly than I'm thinking right now. I am so passionate about this that I'd be willing to go to jail and to go all the way to Rome for this. And then Herod, King Herod says to him, do you think in just this one conversation you're going to win me over to your side? And Paul says to him, I don't care if it takes a long time or it takes a short time. If it's a long conversation, I just, I just want you to have what I have. Minus the chains. We live in a world who really, this would be such a huge gift to hear somebody or a group of people say, I don't care how long this takes, but I want you to have what I have. We live in a world that says, I don't want you to have what I have. <laughs> I'm afraid of you taking what I have. But a mindset of blessing, a mindset set on the cross, a mindset set on Christ will lead us to all kinds of creative and inspiring ways to say to people who do deserve it and people who don't deserve it, I want you to have what I have. I want you to have Christ. I want you to be set free. I want you to feel like you're in a world full of blessing and opportunity and gift. So if I had to boil down this seven verses to something applicable for you today, other than just generally what I've been saying, it would be this line. Don't give, don't contribute to the drama. Maybe the biggest gift you can give your world right now is to not add to the drama. It's to see it as an opportunity not to pour gas on a fire and make it even worse and, and add to all the stuff that's going on. But to, to, to say to the world, actually, I'm going to find ways of thinking positively, optimistically, and a blessing. Uh, I'm going to be creative and be the gift that God has called me to be here in this city and here in this church. You are God's gift to this world. And this world is lucky to have Christians like you in this city. The second seven verses, I think, um, is, is a kindness of Paul. I think he's anticipating some scandalous places that this, might, this idea and concept might get us into. As he starts to talk about love and starts to talk about clothe yourself in Christ, um, I'd like to just sort of give you one more thought on how this potentially can work. Clothe yourself in Christ. This is a visible, this is an outward thing. Talking about clothes, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the clothes you wear are not for you primarily. They're for the people who see you. And if you don't think I'm right, think back 12 months when we were all at stay at home. What were you wearing? <laughs> I know I'm not the only one. Where do these jean shorts come from that I'm wearing every day? It doesn't matter. What's this orange Hawaiian shirt? I don't know why I'm wearing this every day, but that's just me at home alone by myself, this cross between Kurt Cobain and Magnum P.I. Like, this is me, you know, like, I'm not the only one. 
When we go out into the world, when we go into our formal environments, we dress in a way that communicates certain things. So clothe yourself with Christ. Wrap the gospel onto you visibly. Be somebody that's visibly showing the gospel in this world. Now, when you do this, adding to all the giftedness and creativity that we're all like let loose to think about how to live in this world, when you do this, it's going to get you into some scandalous potentially places, just like it did for Jesus. Pretty much every page of the Gospels, Jesus is doing this outwardly, trying to bless people, and, it, and people don't get it. It's landing him in all kinds of awkward and scandalous situations. Why is this prostitute crying on his feet and wiping it with her hair? Is that okay? People are constantly looking at him like, what are you doing? You're touching dead people and you're going into Roman houses. I mean, you're doing the wrong things uh, for the right reasons. And oftentimes, when we find ourselves in these situations because of love, uh, we need to figure out what true north is on the compass because we can go, there's some sharp edges to both sides of uh, what we can do when we're outside of our normal comfort zone. When you find yourself at a wedding you never would have thought you'd go to, when you find yourself in a, in a country governed by people you never thought they'd be governed by. When you find yourself uh, sitting down at a table at dinner with people that are not like you, that you never would have, you know, because of the gospel, they got you there talking to them. And as you're developing relationship, it's going to get tricky. One thing that we can do in that situation uh, is become afraid of how this is going to look and what this is going to mean and start to become uh, legalists. Legalism, I don't think, well, I was going to say it doesn't lead to love. It does lead to love, but it's a love for yourself. Legalism, uh, he, he, it seems like Paul kind of anticipates this by saying, yeah, 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 you look at all the Ten Commands, you know, do not do this, do not do that, do not do this, whatever other the commands they might be, don't get caught up in just how do I do the commands right? Becoming a legalist, yeah, we start to, it feels good, it feels like I've got a little control here, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I got my pantry full, I bought all the toilet paper, I did all this stuff, I was, <laughs> I'm just kidding, I shouldn't have said that. Buy as much toilet paper as you want. I, I just think sometimes we start to think about ourselves in, in disorienting situations. I never see Jesus do this. I never see him say, just so we're clear, I don't like approve of this person. I don't want you to think that I'm, you know, just so we're clear, I'm not like with them, I'm just eating with them. We're eating at the same time. I, I think that that's just not on his, his self-image uh, and his uh, self controlling that perspective is just not on his mind. What is on his mind is loving this person the best that he can. And I don't think you will ever regret that mentality. If you are living your life and you have, God has brought people into your life and you believe he has perfect aim and he's got you exactly where he wants you and you say, okay, how do I love this person? He's going to help you with that. And he is reasonable. And he knows where you're at. And, and yes, if you mess it up, he's, he'll help you figure that out. But are you, I just can't imagine standing before the Lord someday and saying, I, to my core, thought I was loving this person. That was love for me. And, he, and God's just like, no, 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 get out of here. No, this is what he calls you to be thinking about. 
Love your neighbor fulfills all the commands, all that stuff. But another jagged edge that we can go to in a destabilizing time. I mean, imagine what Paul describes it as here. He says, I think in verse 12, this is the night. We're living in a dark time. We're living in a time where uh, things are a little disorienting. And you can choose to contribute to the darkness. Maybe for whatever reason, you know, you got lost into this friends group or you got lost into this relationship or, or you're, you, you, you don't know what to do because you've never been here before. I get it. But ask yourself, am I contributing to what he calls the deeds of darkness? Am I thinking only of how to gratify the desires of my flesh? Because guess what? None of these things are on the list for loving thy neighbor. Love is not the central uh, guiding principle in if somebody is starting to think uh, sexual immorality is okay. This is just a waste of your time because you are called to love other people and not objectify them. You are called to love and not, and not detach from reality by drinking too much and by becoming jealous and by per- contributing to the, the patterns of this world that other people are giving tons of permission for us to be, uh, to be doing. But to, we are called to a new mindset, a transformed mind, a mind that is seeking to bring the gospel into the dark world. And you are the light of the world. You are that light where, where people, they don't, maybe they don't know how to act or what to do. And they look to you to guide them. Maybe they don't know that God is good, but, but they can taste and see from your life that, that God is good. And they can start to move in that direction. Aren't you excited and inspired, and inspired to be the church today? to be God's gift to the world that's around you, to start thinking creatively and imaginatively about how that could look in your life. I fundamentally believe that this church is on, has a great track record for all of these things. And, and I know that our city sees Crossroads coming and sees a gift on the way. And I wanna continue that work now and in years to come. Who's with me? You are God's gift to this world. And they're lucky to have you. And so let's think about it and pray about it and, um, and be the light that you were meant to be. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we live in a confusing world and you know that. And so thank you for your word. Thank you for your inspiring word that calls us and beckons us forward to be your light and to be your representatives in this world. If any of us here just need to pause a moment and evaluate, have I been compartmentalizing and taking verses out of context that, that helped me in this uh, situation and helped me in that situation? Help us to remember what you said, Jesus. In my kingdom, you cannot serve two masters. You can't, you, you need to, we, we need to devote ourselves to your kingdom and your call. And sometimes that looks like letting go of old patterns, letting go of old ways of viewing things and pressing forward to the transformation that you have for us to see this world as a place where we can uh, pursue flourishing and prosperity and peace. 
anybody's feeling just that they need to pray out uh, this week in their heart, that Jeremiah 29, 4 and following, then just give them permission to do that. Inspire them to start thinking about how to be a gift here in this world and to plant a garden, take care of the place that's around them, to, to, to pray for this city, the officials of this city and the people who are around us. If there's anybody here that's struggling with just still feeling litigious or uh, legalistic because of certain fears and worries and, and places that we are in an uncharted territory, then inspire them to just rest in your love and rest in the call to just love their neighbor. That's okay. Give us permission again and again to just be a neighbor of love. If anyone here just needs to repent and to turn from ways of darkness, and contributing to the darkness of this world. And Holy Spirit, convict and give us the courage to be able to let it go as we clothe ourselves with you and become just visible representations of your love in this world. Amen.